0: Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Sunday morning, day eight of 21 Days of Devotion. Morris, Sandra, Precious, Joe, June, thank you for being a part of this. We just believe, we just believe that together, as we gather, and forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Whoever thought we would be gathering like this, but we gather together to lift up the name of Jesus and to say that God can and God will see us through this time. So good morning to each of you, Don and Joyce and Diana, David and Nancy. Thank you. Thank you for sharing in this. Day eight of 21 days of prayer. Also, we're trying to fast however you can during this time. We began a year ago this call to prayer. One year of calling people to prayer. Started out on a private Facebook page, moved to a public Facebook page a week or so ago. week ago today, we started on YouTube Live as well started the podcast, and just thankful the word is getting out. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for sharing because the word is simply this. There will be nothing on earth that can change earth. There must be an outside intervention. We need an invasion of heaven and nothing short of an awakening. Make it a great awakening. Make it the greatest awakening that has ever happened, and I believe that it is going to happen. So we're doing 21 days straight here, 7 a.m. Central. Like the page, follow the page, share the page. Today, look on us. Do you remember who said that in Scripture? Look on us. Simon Peter speaking of him and John. Look on us. That, that passage, that, that little phrase is sandwiched between two of the greatest chapters of the Bible. On one side, the bookend is Acts 2, when the church was born and the Spirit came down in the upper room and 3,000 were added to the church. And then on Acts 4, on the other side, the other bookend of Look On Us is when the church was filled again with the Spirit, prayed for boldness, it happened, the place was shaken, and 5,000 added to the church. Whoa, how could 5,000 be added? Well, it's because of what happened in that chapter, Acts 3, in between. You remember the story. Simon Peter and John were headed to the temple, and they encountered a beggar who was lame at the gate of the temple. He looked to them and said, yeah, thinking that maybe they had some silver and gold and something to give them. But he said, they he said, look on us. And he went on to tell them, we don't have silver and gold, but we have an experience, an encounter with the divine. That is more than enough to change your situation. Oh, praise God. The lame man was healed and so powerful was that miracle that 5,000 people came into the church. Our ears should perk up at that because one Holy Ghost-filled child of God can make a huge difference in your world. You can turn the world upside down. One person reaching one person can turn a city upside down. Do you know that your family may be one prayer away from a revival, one miracle away from a great awakening, that the church you attend could just be one encounter away from seeing the unleashed power of God. Look on us. What gave Simon Peter that confidence? I mean, a few weeks before he had denied the Lord in the darkness over the enemy's fire. Now he stands before a crowd of people going to pray at the temple and said, Jesus can do it. Look on us. Simon Peter failed God. We know that just a few weeks prior, but Jesus met him at Galilee and something, something happened. It may take a circuitous route. It may not happen as you think it's going to happen, Simon, but greatness lies within your grasp. Reach for it. But pastor, what about my weakness? What about my pain? What about my misery? What about my confusion? What about my uncertainty? I. What obstacle can keep a person really from being used mightily of God? What barrier could stop you and me? Cripple a man, you have a Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison cell and you've got John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. Bury him in the snows of Valley's Forge and you may have a George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and you might have an Abraham Lincoln on your hand. Subject him to bitter religious prejudice, and you may have a Benjamin Disraeli. Strike him down with infantile paralysis, uh, and you may have a Franklin Delano Roosevelt on your hand. Burn him so severely in a schoolhouse that the doctors say he will never walk again, and you may have a Glenn Cunningham, who set a world record in running the mile. Defen, a genius composer, and you may have a Ludwig von. Beethoven. Have him or her born black in a society filled with racial discrimination. You may have a Booker Washington, a Harriet Tubman, a Marian Anderson, a George Washington Carver, a Martin Luther King Jr. Make him the first child to survive in a poor Italian family of 18 children. And you may have an Enrico Caruso on your hand. Have him born in Paris, who survived a Nazi concentration camp, paralyzed him from the waist down when he is four, and you may have the incomparable concert violinist Yitzhak Perlman. Call him a slow learner. Call him mentally handicapped. Write him off as someone who can't be educated, and you may have an Albert Einstein. You see, what I'm saying is when the world is ready to write you off, Jesus Isn't. And what gave Simon Peter the power to say, Look on us? First of all, he had an encounter with the divine. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you ever get too far away from where you got into this thing at. Did you hear me? Don't ever get too far away from an upper room. Don't ever get too far away from where the fire fell and the Spirit moved and you spoke in a heavenly language uh, as a spirit gave uh, utterance. Uh, if I was to identify a street in London, it probably wouldn't mean much to you. In fact, if you go there today, it's just filled with modern buildings and so on the River Thames, and you, you just probably wouldn't even know you're on that short, small street. But the name of that street is Pudding Lane. And even though it may mean nothing to you and me, In London today, you may not think twice about it. In the year 1666, Pudding Lane was where a bakery was at. And 80% of the structures of London were destroyed when a fire started in that bakery. 80% of the structures. Now, if you go by there, you're going to notice a tall monument. And its height, here we go, is the exact distance to where the fire started on putting lane, and I find that significant, is that its height is the same as the distance. Our measure, your measure, a church's measure, a believer's measure is limited to how far we are from the original fire. You can't go higher than the closer and the nearest you may find yourself to the outpouring of the spirit, to when old things passed away and everything became brand new. Don't you know the change that is wrought in a spirit life? Simon Peter was not far from his failure, but he was closer to the fire than he was to his failure. And you, there was an Acts two in between him and his failure at the end of the gospels. Uh, the second thing I would say that gave him the confidence to say, look on us, uh, is that he and John were together they were prayer partners. They were in company going to a prayer meeting. And where two or three are gathered together, it can be by the gate beautiful or it can be here in morning devotion. When we gather together, there should be a confidence. There should be a boldness. There should be an assurance. How how do you and I think we can make it without such prayer? Jesus prayed 40 days and 40 nights, fasting all the while. The ministry of the first church apostles was born, baptized, nurtured in prayer. It was preserved by prayer, directed by extraordinary seasons of prayer. Prayer is not what we do until we find something else we can do. Prayer is our privilege. Prayer is our responsibility. It's not a means to an end. It is the end itself. It was Ian e. Bounds who wrote, prayer cannot be Retired as a secondary force in this world because to do so is to retire God from the movement. It's to make God secondary. When you make prayer secondary, you make God secondary. The prayer ministry and what you and I are doing here and calling people to prayer, it, it has to be an all engaging force or it's no force at all because the estimate and place of prayer is the estimate and place we have for our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Don't make it secondary. Don't make it secondary. There is absolutely nothing of eternal importance and significance that ever happens apart from prayer. I got up early last week, and usually I get up at two o'clock on Sunday mornings, four o'clock every other day of the week, and It was one day this past week in the wee hours of the morning. That's when God talks to me. And I I remember that morning I woke up. Oh, I was weary. And a, a fleeting thought went through my mind. Why am I doing this? Why am I getting up so early? And God whispered to me, because I am worthy. He is worthy of my devotion. And it just so happened that in that morning in prayer, something so unusual happened. God gave me a vision, a snapshot, a simple word picture, an analogy, just just a moment, just a moment of seeing something, of catching a vision. And in that moment, So much has been explained to me, was explained to me. And later that day, God reinforced that same very thing in a dramatic way. I just can't explain it. But it's when we pray that we unlock the revelatory power of God. It was the prophet Zechariah who reminded us uh, of the supernatural nature of God's plan. You can be a member of the Kiwanis Club. You can be a member of the Lions Club, the 4-H Club, and get by without the spiritual. But in this thing, it's not by might, not by power, by my spirit, saith the Lord. Or what King Hezekiah said when he faced the enemy and he told the people, God met with me this night, you need to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be intimidated by that vast army because there's a greater power with us than with them. With them, they've only got the arm of the flesh. But in Second Chronicles 32, he said, but with us is our Lord God to help us fight these battles. The 33rd Psalm, the same thing. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is the vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot say, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope in his unfailing love. The 20th Psalm, you know this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we're going to remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. The 44th Psalm, it was not by their sword they won the land, nor did their army bring them victory, but it was by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, O Lord, for you shone your love upon us. Uh, Paul said that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all but then he, then he links that to the power that is at work in our own lives, that the glory that is in the church uh, is connected to our prayer life and calling on us and the power that is working within us so that you and I can say, look on us. In Acts 4, Jerusalem's upper echelon of spiritual leadership looked at poor, pitiful Peter and John, but they perceived that these two had been with Jesus. And that's the only way the miraculous happens is that when we have been with Jesus. So Bill and Roxanne and Brenda and Larice and Linda, when we say, look on us, we're really saying, look through us. To the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are just his hands. We are just his feet. And the Lord is working in our lives and through our lives. I read a story recently of the life of David Brainerd. He was a missionary in the 1700s to the American Indians. Even though he died of tuberculosis at the age of 29, his impact was supernatural. Often because of coughing up blood and excruciating pain, he'd fall off his horse while riding to the next place to preach. It is F. W. Borum, one of my favorite authors. It tells the story of Brainerd's first trip to a tribe in Delaware. Brainerd was praying the night before asking God, give me strength and help me tomorrow. He did not know that the Indian Braves from the tribe had surrounded his tent intent on killing him. And they were watching him curiously as he began to pray. And as they watched him pray, they saw a large rattlesnake slither up to Brainerd. The snake raised up and was nearly face to face with the preacher. But Brainerd's eyes were locked on Jesus Christ and he kept on praying. Then without any apparent reason, the snake lowered, glided away into the brush. And the Indians said, the great spirit is with that man. And he was welcomed into their tribe as a prophet of God. I'm getting weary of clever folks. I'm getting weary of trying to think our way through things. We're going to have to pray our way through this season. And that is the power that is working on the inside of us. And only when that power is present, can we say with confidence, look on us because the day you and I awaken to the power of prayer and the power that is working on the inside of us, that's the day that our nation and our world will see a great awakening in this land. Awaken us to the power of prayer. I sense the presence of the Lord moving and on this opening day, of the second week of our three weeks of prayer and fasting, I want to underscore and embolden and highlight the need, the need for the absolute power of God, for saints of God. Let me borrow an old expression to get a hold of the horns of the altar of God and not let go until you and I have the confidence that God has heard our prayer. He has seen our plight and he is going to see us through. Would you like the page? Follow the page, share the page. Leave your prayer request out to the side. This morning, I'll be ministering in Pearland at 930 and then be ministering ministering at 11 o'clock in Baytown. Gather if you can in person or online. Let's have a mighty move of God. Pray one for another. God bless you until tomorrow.